Hello, welcome back to Out of Our Heads, a comics and pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bortner and the protagonist of an edgy early 2000s indie comic, Nick Protopapas. Uh, that was a good one, Joe. I, Thank you. I have no response, but I liked it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, w- I work hard on these. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Um, I put at at most five seconds of thought into them a week. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's more than I put, so what can I say? I'm too busy yeah. being edgy with my own problems. I got my own life to live, Joe. Mm-hmm. yeah what's what's my problem what what what's uh up my butt that i oh so geez edgy. um what happens in edgy early 2000s indie comics lots of sex <laughs> very serious sex <laughs> that's the problem that's my problem too much sex yeah nick but you're sad about it yeah, that makes sense. Because You're so sad about it, and it's the just, most serious problem in the world. <laughs> I just want to be held, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not filling the hole, the the big black hole in my life. Yeah. Anyway, episode forty two. Uh, that's a pretty good number, I would argue. Uh, yeah, I'm liking it. It, it makes me yeah. makes me sound now. If someone's like, "Hey, do you have a podcast?" and I go. I go, yes, I do. We have 42 episodes. Now I'm I'm better than all the suckers who give up at 20 or 30, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I I um I found something really demoralizing the other day, which is like I I I went into like the deep recesses of YouTube and I found like I don't even remember the name, some some podcast that was about also about comics. Um and it was like at the the 600s in number of episodes. And as far as I could tell, like nobody was listening. Wow, and that just I... made me very existentially sad. <laughs> well, because of our, <laughs> because our podcast is going nowhere but more episodes. <laughs> <laughs> is that a problem for you? No, no, I have a great time doing this. I, I, yeah. I, and I think we probably have more listeners than that one on YouTube. No, really? I don't know. I mean, I think we probably get like you know, the same. 20 or 30 or so people according to my analytics very interesting that's pretty good yeah it's all right yeah (laughs) you know i gotta say if they're doing it for 600 plus episodes they must be enjoying it right like you know that's a worthwhile pursuit i think yeah i would say so too see what i did there i came in there and i was being negative and then I, i i turned the train around it's, it's pretty good, Joe. Uh, do you yeah. think one day we'll get to 600? When we're I think we could. Yeah. That would be like, what, 12 years of podcasting? That's, yeah, I mean, that's that's a big commitment, I'd say. Yeah, maybe someday. Very nice. Um, so, Nick, do you, have a, do you have a thing for me this week? <laughs> uh, I do. This week I have something a little... Um, a little outside of what I usually talk about, but it's something I have interest in, which is like documentary shows. Um, and the one that I just finished was a pretty pretty popular one back in uh, when it came out, which is uh, 2012. And it's called The Untold History of the United States, or it's called Oliver Stone's uh, Untitled History of the United States. And do you know Oliver Stone, Joe? Uh, I don't think I do. He has made movies. He made the movie Platoon. He made that movie that I think you watched, uh, Born on the Fourth of July. 
Um, uh, I haven't seen that, but I know about it. All right. He also made Snowden, apparently, according to this uh, the Google thing, which I can't confirm, but Google said it. Um, okay. I'm getting and, a, a more vivid image of this guy. Yeah, he's like he's like a movie guy, but like not top tier that you've heard of him, and like he's interested in history and stuff. But basically, at least the pitch from the show within the show is that he he heard about his kids, you know, his kids were going to school and learning about history and he didn't like the way they were doing it. Um, so the untold history of the United States is sort of a, it's a very, it's a mini series. I'd say it's about 10 episodes. Um, and it's just very briefly going over stuff that isn't, is kind of overlooked a lot of time. I think, you know, less and less as time goes on, but like basically just America in a bad light in foreign policy, more or less. Um, mm-hmm. and not like on purpose, just being realistic. Um, and like, uh, I thought it was kind of doing everything until I noticed that they like just weren't doing the civil rights movement. So I was like, Oh, this is like all just foreign policy. Um, it starts at world war two and then it sort of keeps going until, you know, Obama. Uh, so it's, it covers a lot. And it, the, the best thing about this show is that it, it, it's so fast paced. Like it just throws information at you, uh, which is kind of super great. If you're just like, you know, just looking to get a little more information in your life, but you're not, super interested in the details i guess like it, i mean it, it's it's just interesting like a lot of a lot of docs sort of go over the same thing over and over and they focus in on a character you know what i mean um yeah they try to get a human element this is just kind of like it's kind of like throwing a textbook at you with lots of pictures i mean like didn't film <laughs> a single thing it's all just like clips and like they do a lot of movie clips since he likes movies and it's just like him talking over it. Um, so it, it's pretty okay. good. I think, I think it's sort of a good thing for everyone to watch just to, just to get a good idea of like foreign policy and how important it is. Um, even though it's sort of not talked about a lot or maybe enough in the, the current political climate. Um, yeah, I think it's really well done. Uh, there's a book that goes with it, which I have not read, but I thought it was a good it, it, it was a good kind of thing that I feel comfortable recommending to other people who aren't necessarily always interested in docs, just because it's very accessible, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm uh, I'm buying what you're selling. I uh, I like documentaries, so yeah. I, I I think I'd be interested. Yeah, it leaves it. Netflix in uh, six days, which is oh, why shit. I kind of got on the train of watching it like last week. But uh, how many? Yeah, should... How long are the episodes? You know, they're like an hour. Uh, they're not too long. Uh, there's 10 of them, and there's two that are prequel episodes that I guess were on the DVD from what I looked up. Uh, they're sort of just like World War One, and, you know, before World War... Like, I think it's 1900 to, you know, World War Two, and then the regular show picked up at World War Two, and it was 10 episodes. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll check this out. I mean, it's going to depress you is the other thing. And it just gets more depressing as it, like is more current i guess because right. you're like oh it'll get better right and it just gets worse it's, <laughs> it's like oh how could the how could the government do that how could they lie about vietnam it's like oh it just keeps happening so it's fun yikes <laughs> cool fun <laughs> yeah you got anything more uh chipper for me uh i think i do i think i do um so i caught up this weekend on Star Trek Discovery, uh, which is my thing this week. Wow. Uh, and started its third season a month or so ago. Uh, so I'm, I'm current now. CBS I'm a cool All current Access. Boy. Is that a CBS yeah. All Access? This wow. is on CBS All Access. It's one of the 
three Star Trek shows on there running concurrently. <laughs> um, That's wild. Oh, yeah. Joe, guess what um, we did? Sorry, just sorry to interrupt. Can I interrupt oh, a little? Guess what oh, we yeah, did? please tell me. We went to a, a, the Titan Missile Museum here in Tucson, and uh, apparently some Star Trek had been filmed there, and we got a little excited when we heard that at the end. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. <laughs> yeah. It, I don't know. That's kind of the whole story. I wouldn't know because I like I didn't recognize anything, but I was just like, oh, cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a fun fact for uh, those in the back. Yes. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, I think this show is uh, pretty solid. Um, I, I think that CBS All Access is a bad streaming service because all that it has is Star Trek. Um, but uh, I like subscribed to it like for a month back in the day when this show like first came out. Uh, so every pretty much all the time because they're so desperate, they they email me uh, saying, "Hey, here's a free month, Joe." please get a free month really <laughs> uh and i say yes i'll take that offer that's really funny um, so i get a lot of free cbs all access periodically <laughs> you just sit um, there and they're like joe come on please please get it and you're like no and they're like how about for free and you're like all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we're in uh we're in one of those months because sometimes life happens to you <laughs> yeah um so I think I think this show has like a similar appeal to The Mandalorian, maybe, um, except that it's a lot more character focused, um, as Star Trek sort of tends to be. Um, so the, the like some of the big appeal is just like, oh, it's more Star Trek stuff uh, in a cool way, which you you know, you as an audience member who subscribes to the CBS All Access platform, which is exclusively Star Trek content, then you're probably interested in that. <laughs> um, they make a lot of like aesthetic changes to like the format of the show but ultimately it's just you know it's what it says on the tin which is new star trek stuff um there's a lot of fun very comic booky sci-fi concepts um like there's a bunch of time travel this season um special effects are really nice i think that i don't remember how they were on the previous seasons but um they're a lot better this time around um, they clearly had a very big budget, even though it's on CBS All Access. Um, so it's not like my favorite thing ever, but it's like pretty fun. Um, I would, I would compare it to like a better version of the the kind of model that the the CW superhero shows do, um, where it's a lot more character focused, um, but it's it's um, much higher budget and, and a lot better constructed um, in terms of like, like like so it's a shorter run so it's like 10 episodes a season instead of the, the 26 where they're constantly redrafting things and also changing demographics and stuff um, anyway uh, I think <laughs> that makes it like some of the, the more confident uh, and competent sci-fi television happening uh, right now um, like it's leagues above something like Stranger Things on Netflix, uh, which I, I, I find to be often very uh, shallow. Um, so so I think, um, you know, even if it's not as distinct as that, um, it's still a pretty cool show. Um, anyway, uh, if you're listening and you were ever interested in, like, getting into Star Trek or something, I think this is a decent show to hop onto. Um, it's got sort of a, a rough first season, but a lot of Star Trek shows tend to. Um, so... Yeah.
that's pretty much all I have to say. But Joe, how do I get them to give me a free month? Um, well, <laughs> what you got to do is like pay like the, the six bucks for one month and then immediately unsubscribe. Um, then you wait a few months and they'll come crawling back. <laughs> I don't want to do that. That's six bucks, but yeah, maybe, that's fair. Maybe someday. Can I get a free first month? I think you can get a free first week. I don't know if that will give you a, a free month later down the line. Mm. Interesting. It might. I feel like they, it is the kind of thing where they do coupons constantly. I do like free stuff. Yeah. They've but they're going to rebrand got... it because it sucks so much, right? That's their plan? Yeah, they're going to call it Paramount All Access, I think. Yeah. Um, well... Which might work. I don't know, I don't know <laughs> what the people will think about this. They, they still... <laughs> <laughs> they still only have Star Trek on this, <laughs> but now it's like they have all they, <laughs> they have all the other it. things that Viacom owns. But like try a new name, like Star Trek, Star Trek uh, streaming. That's what they should yeah, call. Wait, it. let me let me check what other original content they even have on here. Because like otherwise, the appeal is just like the making of Star Trek. They don't have that. Yeah, uh, I think they do have something along those lines nice. oh boy they've got uh, tell me a story a cbs all access original <laughs> N- no activity interrogation one dollar okay. these all sound like fake shows yeah this doesn't sound real <laughs> why women kill oh they have that Is you know kind of mediocre jordan peele twilight zone show okay nice um oh my god all right cool okay do you want to get into our our main subject for the for the today? Uh, yeah, let's do it. So right. today, Nick, uh, yeah. our 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 main topic uh, has nothing to do with CBS All Access, which I mean is a nice change of pace. Yeah, because we've been talking about CBS All Access so much lately. Yeah. Every week. Uh, so today we're talking about uh, Black Hole by Charles Burns. Uh, this is a comic that came out from 1995 to 2005. It was published by Fantagraphics Press, um, as many comics are. Um, and it's about uh, these teens. Um, and these teens, you know, uh, when they have sex, uh, sometimes a bug spreads. It's called the bug. Um, and it gives them strange, creepy mutations. Yeah. Um, and, and for a lot of people, this this kind of exiles them from society. Um, and this comic focuses on uh, a couple characters um, who are affected by the bug um, and, and have uh, difficult circumstances relating to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, right off the bat, I'll say that th- there's there's less of a story and more of a more of a vibe. It's like the characters and how they. You know, some of them have different stages of the mutation and sort of how their life changes from regular teen to mutant teen. Um, and it really reminded me of like that X-Men story that I don't think really exists, <laughs> like is always almost existing. And everyone's like, man, why doesn't that exist? Uh, where it's like sort of just like the transition point of like the kids finding out about their cool new powers but also being uh you know everyone hates them now their peers are like oh you're a freak that part in the movie where all the kids chant freak and and the freak kid <laughs> runs, runs away in the hallway 
yeah it's it's kind of like that yeah, yeah. Um, um so i get i i guess what i find interesting about because like that that's an easy comparison to make uh, i think you're like correct and that that might even be like part of the pitch um but i think it it doesn't lean particularly hard into that angle like like there is social ostracization that happens um and like we we spend a lot of time kind of away from from society um because the characters have been removed or have removed themselves from it um but like i i don't think the main angle is like about uh you know how how people are 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 uh mean or oppressive toward towards uh this group it's about how uh sort of the 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 psychological place that these people are in uh i agree with that i I don't think that's maybe the main point but i think that is a point in sort of how how the how the you know mutated the bug the kids with the bug um you know think about themselves because you know it's not like you go around and it's like oh it's so hard for like chris uh, you know going around town like being beat up because she's she's ugly now and stuff it's more like oh chris doesn't feel like she can go home or has any friends so she lives in the woods you know um yeah like it's a part of their mentality but not necessarily the main point of the story so i agree yeah um what did you think of uh the cartooning oh joe i thought it was so good i thought it was so so good it's very interesting because um when i first looked at it i was like oh this is a little like uh you know static like it feels like a lot of the the poses aren't necessarily like moving a lot like we get in a lot of comics like sort of you know you know what i mean like an arm that's a little rounder than an arm actually is because it's punching um you you kind of get these like more stiff poses but then i was wrong i was so wrong because the way it moves from panel to panel is so so dynamic um in the in the in sort of the angle you're looking at things that you you get a ton of motion and there's also just like these cool breaks in the frames, uh, especially when they're like tripping uh, and stuff, especially <laughs> right in the beginning when he's looking into the hole, like the black hole and the frog. Um, and it's like, it's totally wonky. Um, and or, or when he's dreaming. What's the main character's name? Uh, Keith? Keith, right? It's not Kevin? I don't know. Um, yeah, it's Keith. Uh- yeah. <laughs> Keith has these like crazy wild dreams and like that. That's kind of the thing I remember most, honestly. It's like he's looking and it's kind of like, it's just i think that's one of my just like favorite scenes ever in anything like his dream and i i don't usually like dream sequences <laughs> but like the art was just like not even just the art but like like the imagery and like how fluid the like the dream sequence was because it didn't like rely on you know because things would change in dreams obviously and it's like what is it i can't quite remember the order but there's like a guy he's got a corkscrew penis and then like he's like ew gross and then like he's swimming <laughs> And then, like, he becomes a snake, and then he is the corkscrew penis, and it's like, whoa! <laughs> it's just like a lot of a lot of those pages, especially, are just like honestly so beautiful, just like together. Like they somehow managed to avoid the whole problem of like, well, we need to like get a story across, so like maybe it will look really nice as a page, but like, you know, it can't always. Like some of these pages are so nice that I wouldn't like be surprised if they were in a museum. I was like, oh, there it is, the thing that should be in the museum. And I kept finding pages like that. And I was like, wow, <laughs> so good. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can do this, but I really feel like printing some of these pages real big and putting them on my walls. Huh. <laughs> yeah. And also, 
the inks are so good, so, so good. And like all the like, I like that he just doesn't, he doesn't care about the lighting. Like it doesn't matter that the sun's above them. He'll, he'll light you from anywhere, man. <laughs> <laughs> like lights, so, I, I'm in charge of lights. That's what he says. And uh, yeah, this, this comic needs to be in black and white for sure. Yeah. Um, so, so actually uh, to jump off of that, I think the inking is really interesting because um, it's, it's really heavy. So, so it's sort of, at least my read um, is it's kind of in the style of a lot of older indie books, um, even though this was like much later. Um, like it's something you might see in like Raw or whatever. Like remember, uh, the, there's like this one sequence in Mouse um, that's like an excerpt of something else that Art Spiegelman did, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, no, there's, there's... It's, I, it's called like Prisoner on the Hell Planet or something. Uh, I don't, I don't remember that specifically, but I think that as someone who has looked at the pictures of this, I, I agree. And if you're listening, okay. you should look up the pictures because I honestly, like right now, I kind of forgot. Like it's just so, it's so good to look at um, that I can't even picture it perfectly. The least favorite thing about this book is that it's called Black Hole, and every time I look it up, some weird not <laughs> not this comic thing comes up. It's so annoying, but yeah. Okay, so um. Like, like one of the things that he does um, is like he does this trick of, of consistently putting like the focal point, what you're supposed to look at um, of the page or a panel right down the middle of it. Um, like if that's I think at the beginning, it's often just like you look right down the middle of the page. Uh, but later on, it sort of evolves to just be like, well, now you're looking at the middle of the panel um, and like he'll never really ask you except with lettering to like move your eyes from side to side, if that makes sense. Um, and, and so I think the, this um, kind of creates a contrast because the panel layouts are, are, are generally like really easy to read um, and really easy on the eyes. Um, but I think the, the inking itself can be a bit more difficult to parse, like not, not in a way where it's um, not, not in a way where it's like confusing to read, um but it's like the the book is sort of asking you to engage with it does that make sense everything's great it's so good it's i mean the art is quite literally flawless i (laughs) have no problems with it it's all just like really solid i I don't think i've ever seen this amount of solidness maybe ever like even the faces maybe the only thing is not even like even the faces are really really consistent um even though they're sort of simple I also really enjoy the textures he does with nature, and I like I like that his art style. There's something very interesting because once they get into nature, like at first they're kind of in the you know city forest, if that makes sense. And there's there's one big page spread later where they're driving out into the boonies, and it's like it's grassy. You know what I'm talking about, Joe? Yeah. And the moment I saw that, I was like, "What the hell is this comic doing taking place in a city?" I was like, this is so cool. Like, because, you know, like often you get people who are like, oh, they're good at drawing city and Batman in the city and he jumps around and then they like get to the forest and it's like, oh, geez, like that's a green like puff and that's a bush, you know, <laughs> he's just like somehow so good at both. And I, w- I was shocked. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's all like all the textures are really good, but it's so clear, but it's so dark. And the faces are like really sort of cartoony and expressive, but they also look realistic. Like I can't, I don't know. Like it's just, and then the freakishness, like the freak mutations. 
that's that seems to be kind of the thing where it's like he's playing to his strengths also so good like so every issue starts with like a normal teenager and then the same normal teenager with their freakness after and like it just it just it looks so good with the inks like all the like bumps and like lumps and big teeth and an- antennas like and the the texture of hair is always really good but i i just i i don't know like i i'm going to be thinking about this for a while i think i really really like this art hmm. yeah i think um i don't know the the way in which there's sort of a a like we get a lot of different kinds of mutations um and like to be clear to anyone who hasn't read this uh uh you know it, it doesn't really give like the character's powers per se like you might expect in like an, an x-men comic but it's like largely physical um like there's the occasional thing where like um they've got different senses of some kind but um really it's like a a, a you know, you you look at them and they they might look different, and that varies from person to person. Um, and I, I I think like the way that that the different like mutations are sort of mundane, but also like slightly creepy, is interesting. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. They're all very interesting because they're they're all different, which is which is cool. And then you sort of and the the other thing to remember is like all the characters are teenagers, which doesn't like you know, you kind of forget sometimes over the course of the book because, like, some of them, because of their mutations, look like adults. Yeah, I think I think that for me, that I had that same thing happen, except it happened more because they were living out in the woods that mm-hmm. I sort of forgot that they were even in the same high school as some of the other kids before. And then those moments where they sort of, sh- you know, they, like, they shatter that and they're like, oh, like, oh, geez, like, remember me from class, even though now I'm, like, a weird guy who lives in the forest. And it's like, wow, yeah, these guys are all really young. And they, sometimes they make, like, stupid decisions, too. Um, and that brings it back for you. But you always sort of forget just because they're living such, you know, different and harder lives because of the mutations they have. Yeah, I mean, and, and sort of on that note, like, it's... Um, I kind of mentioned, be, like, the, the inking being difficult earlier. Like, not in a not in a bad way. Um, but, like, like it's, a, it's a depressing book. Um and again, I, I don't mean that in a bad way, um, but more as a, a statement of fact. Um, so so I, I, I think sort of my kind of approach to this book is that it's, it's like somewhere around being kind of an anti-Ferris Bueller, if that makes sense. Um, like, I, I don't mean that in like it's deconstructing Ferris Bueller at all, but more that it's like this <laughs> very uncomfortable and vivid portrayal of like, kind of the worst parts of high school for like people who are outsiders and there's not much of the the romance that's like typically applied in a lot of teen media yeah so i guess i'm i'm wondering like kind of what you got out of it i mean it's definitely like a depressing view right because in the end it is sort of a very dark and scary world still uh, especially for the outcasts i mean i i took that but i also took that there's like another world within the like i, I understood that the entire world wasn't dark. It was just that these characters' lives were dark, if that makes sense. Because there's sort mm-hmm. of a view earlier, right, of Chris and what's his name? Uh, when they're, like, having a good time before he dies um, or doesn't die or goes, I don't know. And then, um, like, that was, like, very, very happy and sort of romanticized. But the only thing that makes it not romanticized is that it, it ended badly. You know what I mean? 
Um, mm -hmm. So it is depressing, but I think there's lights of hope throughout, or like at least clues that you know it's possible to live a good life in this world. Um, and like you know, Eliza and Keith get together in the end, and that's at least a little happy. So for me, it's not like totally. Like, oh, I don't. I don't know if that's happy. You don't know if it's happy. Yeah, I oh, mean, because because I read that as like, you know, the the whole book is Keith is sort of someone who who sort of applies obsession. Um, you know, at first he's um, not so much obsessed with Chris. Like like he's a, a, he is. I mean, like he's a normal kid at first, but then like there's that scene in the forest where he's like he he touches her blood uh and <laughs> that's like whoa yeah <laughs> this guy's weird. Yeah, he's um, weird and uh there's Wait, this narration he touched um, the blood on purpose no okay never mind like like he he narrates like like well i touched her blood um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that was the moment that i knew <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you're right okay oh, um never mind we're on the same yeah um uh <laughs> um anyway um so sort of uh, at some point, I think after uh, he sort of has sex with Eliza for the first time, um, he he goes off and uh, for a while he like lives with Chris again, um, or not again, but like um, sort of in the the in the group with the other people who have the bug. Um, and you know, if I remember correctly, there there's uh, like lines in there um, where he's he's. Or like yeah, he's talking about how he believes now that like Chris is the one for him. Like he talks a lot about the one, um, and then later he later on he's like, yeah, well now I know that Eliza is the one, um, and it 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 read to me as like a teenager who sort of has a very like like a pretty shallow understanding of like this stuff. Because it seems like he doesn't like he definitely doesn't know Chris that well, and I I don't know if he knows like Eliza that well either. All right, so they don't have the healthiest relationship. Is that what you're saying? I mean, I I just I I didn't view that as a happy ending for him. I think like at least for me, the the more interesting like catharsis is like the final beat with Chris, um, where she's sort of alone, and then she goes in the ocean and like looks up at the stars and like kind of has rejected like all forms of community but like in that she kind of finds like this form of of peace cuz i found that really interesting yeah well i just think that basically i i don't know i mean maybe they don't have the healthiest relationship but i think that chris and eliza in the end are sort of portrayed as happy and content right i mean chris is for the first time sort of seems not like he wants to be somewhere else. That's oh, a in the book. Mean Keith? Yeah, Keith. Yeah, <laughs> that is what that is what I meant. Um, it, you know, because the whole book is like, oh, my friends are always hassling me for wanting to be somewhere else, um, and that's like not a thing at the end of the book, if that makes sense. So I'm not sure if it's like a totally happy ending, but I think there's moments of happiness. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So I'll it's, not, it's not a totally dark world. It's like whatever conclusion it reaches. It's not like a hundred percent the way that, um, you know, a totally romanticized teen movie is totally romanticized. Like there's conflict, but it ends up happy and like, you know, that's fine. 
And like the anti of that is like, oh, everything's bad all the time. Like, I just don't think that it fits into like the anti totally. Does that make sense? Like, I think it's a dark mm-hmm. view of the world, but I don't think that it's um, told. I don't think it's completely black. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not like, I'm not trying to make it out like, oh, this is a dark book, and that, you know, I, I don't, I don't think the 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 darkness in and of itself is like, like, like you said, like Chris at the end, right? Like, is that like a totally negative viewpoint on the world? I don't really think so. You know? Yeah. So that um, I guess sort of something that I like picked up uh on during the book and like maybe some of this is like you know english major bs um but i i i think it's a story that touches a lot on like the the idea of like homes um and like what that actually means um like you have you have high school and the the city and you have like the traditional homes of all the characters um which might like seem safe at first from like a a, a regular kind of teen story perspective um but they they become like pretty rapidly unwelcoming and unsafe as the story goes on at least like Mm. from the perspective of the main characters that's true um then you have like this middle ground of like i I think it's the the mccallister the mccallister's house maybe that they stay at yeah yeah. um mix something um and the place that Eliza was living at, which are like technically homes and that they're suburban buildings that people live in, but they're like really hostile. And even when ostensibly like good things are happening there, like, uh, you know, like Eliza and Keith having sex, like they, they're, they're kind of in this, this bad light where like, she's like, you know, she had to get rid of all her art. Um, or maybe I might be like, I don't, yeah, that last person. Was that after that happened? I might no, be she telling, She was telling him about it there. Or okay. maybe maybe somewhere else. I don't know. But Okay, that, that might happened. be not be the strongest point. Yeah. Uh but you know, well, and no, then you I, have I the think you're making some good points. I think that what do you think about the end then when they sort of hit the road, at least uh Chris and Eliza do, right? Not Chris, Keith, goddammit. Keith and Eliza. <laughs> I when they hit the road and you you finally get these like big wide open spaces and like no no dark dark I mean, there are dark darks, but like it's probably the lightest pages we get in the whole book. It, it, it's a totally yeah. Different so, so that's interesting because, like, I think there is like one more type of home in the book, which is like the the places in the forest, mm-hmm. um, which which also have like their own dangers, even though they're like technically safe from like the 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 people who are hostile to them in in society. Like, they create their own dangers. Like, there's mm-hmm. like the the uh weird doll thing that's like the the naked body that's like hung up in the tree yeah you remember this I, I, <laughs> that's so I, creepy yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's like made of like chris's old skin right i i don't that was what yeah i guess yeah because like she sheds she sheds her skin at one point yeah and like none of it there are like other constructions in the forest but they're not made out of skin that's true I kind so like, of what, what, I hadn't thought of that, but that makes sense. Okay, what I assumed was like Dave was building all of those things. Yes. Dave the creepy guy. Did uh, Dave the creepy guy? Yes, he was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um anyway, um so so really I think like you're right in that like yeah, they're a lot safer at the end where where they're they're homeless. Um 
but like so, sort of i i especially felt that with chris because like as i said earlier like she has that scene where the the woman goes up to her and says hey we're gonna like go party down at the beach or whatever or like have dinner um do you want to come with us and she's like no um and then she you know gets naked and swims in the ocean and and that's like her sort of piece um and i guess what made that moment to me like more uh meaningful than like the 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 keith and eliza ending is that it, it it's such a sharp contrast to the rest of the book where it's like people trying to find at least to some extent like their place or like an escape mm-hmm. and it it really is like the one character who finds like a a, a real escape yeah yeah that makes sense i don't know i i guess i i think for me this is not really you know my opinion contrary to you it's only that i hadn't thought about it as much but is she content at the end no i don't think she totally is yeah Uh, i just think it's like the closest anyone gets to content (laughs) okay well because because i kind of read that as like, because when the lady asks her, she, like, clearly sort of wants to go. And that is right before. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not that she doesn't want to go hang out with the lady. She sort of does. Right? Do you agree with that? Mm, maybe. But then it's, like, explicitly contrasted against, like, you know, the 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 time she had, like, with, like, the, the, the other kids who had the bug, like, around the, the, the fire. Um which like you know i i dave was there so like not the best time <laughs> i don't know maybe maybe i'm overly simplifying that hmm. I'm, I'm not sure what you mean by that last point yeah okay <laughs> uh yeah i don't know if i can i i can't like fully I, I can't explain that without like having the book in front of me which right now i don't so <laughs> i would yeah. need to like go back and check um yeah i i kind of read it as like it's not that she's never going to need a place to belong or people to belong to. Like, eventually, she says something there that, like, makes me think that she'll eventually, you know, want to try to find a place again. It's more about her, you know, being, you know, feeling feeling um, content with herself, at least for a little. You, you know what I mean? Like, not not running from anything, not needing to be helped by someone. Because that that's a lot of her in the book, is like, oh, like you know, first, what's his name? Uh, her first... Rob, I think? Yeah, Rob. First, Rob is taking so much care of her, and, you know, she's, like, alone in the tent all the time, like, waiting for him. And then, like, you know, Dave tries to take care of her, and then uh, Keith tries to take care of her. Like, there's there's all that going on, and it's sort of, like, that sets her life in a good or bad way. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's all about, like, oh, well, well, Dave's a creepy creep. Like, guess my life sucks now. Like, you know, it's it's because of other people that she feels a certain way. And then in that last moment, mm-hmm. she finds sort of, you know, herself. Her so own. I guess, I guess, I guess the other thing that is kind of like changing my read on like the, 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 the Keith Eliza ending, mm-hmm. um, or like that part of the ending mm-hmm. is, um, there's like this moment, um, where I think the character's name is Carla. Uh, she's like one of the other people with the bug. Um, and she's kind of describing like what Dave did around Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like pretty much a word for word, exactly what Keith does around Chris. 
And so I, I, I guess to me, I didn't like get any serious indication like that, that he had changed. Okay. That's, I guess that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I also like, I, I don't know if there's like a way to make him change from that in like a satisfying way. <laughs> you know, like I, I think it's significant that um he didn't, you know? Yeah. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe I should reread it. I, I kind of got that. Like, he at, at some level had accepted, you know, moving on from Chris, and I, I, I found him to be more content at the end. And that's sort of the big change I saw. Like, I saw him sort of really caring about Eliza in a real way, and I, I felt that those two had an actual connection. Like, they would have conversations, and they, I, don't, I don't know, like, at first it was a little weird, because he was still pining over Chris, but slowly that went away, and he sort of leaves everything behind except for her. So, I mean, Eliza, I mean. Um, so, I, you know, it's not that I'm saying that they're a perfect couple. I'm not saying that. I, I just found Chris to, to have changed a little and to be content in the, at the end of the book. And being content at the end of the book, to me, is like at least is somewhat a happy ending. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I don't know. Like, I, I, I've read the same. Like, I, I have not, like, gone back either. So, yeah. like, you know, there there's an. I could be wrong. <laughs> Nobody's reading is like the the default reading. So like, yeah, yeah. I think this was a good conversation about Black Hole. <laughs> I I liked Black Hole a lot. I really liked it. I liked it so much um, that I want to <laughs> give more money to it. I want to give money to it, and I don't know how to do that. But like it's it's just kind of this one book, right? I mean, that's what I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe I'll... he is. Maybe he is selling posters. <laughs> Maybe he is selling posters. I'd buy those posters. Um, yeah, I think uh, we should check out some more Charles Burns. I have not read anything else of his. I know yeah. he's, a big, uh, he's a big Tintin guy, so maybe we should check out some Tintin first. But yeah, he seems cool. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think I wasn't as hot on Black Hole as you are. Um, Joe, how can this be? Not not through like any any fault of the book. Joe, it's it's, um, it's so good. It's, the layouts <laughs> are so good. The art is flawless. The characters are pretty all right, I guess. Um, no, I mean, I mean, Nick, Nick, I'm not, I'm not like ooh, saying that I, ooh, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that I like had problems with it. I'm just oh, sort of okay. trying to like bounce around in my brain why like this didn't work for me in the way that it worked, like so clearly worked for you. I. I don't know. I I don't know. That that's not that's not work we're going to be doing on this podcast. But yeah, I just like have only good things to say about it. So asking you that question is just asking you to say more good things about it. It's yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really excited about how much I like this comic. <laughs> I, I just don't usually like things this much, and it's it's very exciting. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's also the kind of thing. It seems like the kind of thing you can read again and again and sort of get more out of it. Uh, yeah, I uh, I totally agree on that. So I'm excited to read it again and again and get more out of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shall we move on? Yeah. Okay. Uh, today, Nick, uh, as we do every week, as I do every week, I'm welcoming you back to the Baby Yoda Zone. Nice. What's going everybody, on? Psst, everybody still loves Baby Yoda. I, he's back on our 
television screens. Have you have you heard about what he did most recently? The public is shocked. There what what did big, he do? Big controversy now. You didn't know that? No, I haven't been watching The Mandalorian actually. Right. Well, I'm going to spoil it just a little bit. It's not going to be a big deal. Um, okay. I, I I think I should go first. That's my theory. Um, yeah. So basically, in the most recent episode, The Mandalorian is helping a frog lady transport her eggs to a frog planet. Okay? Cool. And these these eggs are red and they live in a blue jar. Okay? And when The Mandalorian uh, is not looking, <laughs> Baby Yoda keeps eating them. <laughs> And he eats, like, a few, and then the Mandalorian's like, hey, don't eat those. And then he separates the two. And then, like, the weird thing is that in this episode, that's, like, the main, like, conflict, or the main, like, Hmm. like, oh, like, the eggs, like, oh, no, like, hope we don't not get the eggs there. And then, like, you're supposed to care about them, and you're supposed to care when they're in danger, but, like, not when Baby Yoda's eating them? Like, he's the biggest threat to them. And he keeps so, eating them. He ate like six or seven. So, so does the the frog person ever find out about Baby Yoda's transgression? No, I don't think so. I think the Mandalorian keeps it wow. secret. <laughs> secret. It's it's crazy. I mean, she must notice there's less and less eggs, but it's it's just like really weird. And like from from you know people I've talked to about it, it's just like a mixed reaction of like <laughs> of like wait. Was that supposed to be cute? Like, it, like it's a little. Some people are just like really concerned, um, <laughs> but like it's. I thought it was kind of funny the whole time, just because it was so weird. But that's the latest controversy with Baby, Baby Yoda, right? So that actually that leads me to my next point, which I've just thought of. Um, so Baby Yoda fatigue is clearly setting in for some. He's he's going rogue. He's he's doing some actions that the public doesn't love. Uh, or uh, at least not all of them. Uh, Nick, you know, uh, if you were in charge at uh, Star Wars HQ, yeah, uh, how would you create a new baby iteration of another popular character? Oh, how would you do? How would you do this? <laughs> hmm. Well, nobody likes C three PO, but what if he was a baby? Hmm. Right. Think about it, because he's annoying. But if he was a baby. Being a know-it-all would be sort of a contradiction, and so it would be kind of cool and funny. Right. It would be kind of cute suddenly. Yeah, it would be like, haha, like the baby thinks he knows things, like, you know? And there's really nothing to, to stop C-3PO from becoming a baby. Yeah. Um, and he could hang out with R2 more, like, casually, I guess. Like, they could just, like, be on the same level. Yeah. You know, maybe even shorter than R2-D2. Yeah, yeah, baby. Baby size. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he could be, you know, he could sometimes be useful, like translating and whatever. Like, I don't know, like doing C three PO things, but like also be out of the way a lot of the time, and like not mm-hmm. be human sized because like he's always bumbling about because he's like awkward, you know. Like just practically, he would be, he would be easier to to operate in like a team team dynamic as a as a baby. Right. So so here's my pitch. Um, you know, we we've seen various baby versions of star wars characters we've seen baby anakin he was in a whole movie that's true we've seen baby ray she made you know a cameo in one of these i'm sure uh have we seen baby yoda have we seen baby luke baby luke Um, baby luke we have seen baby luke joe we have oh you're right you're You're so so right (laughs) okay we haven't seen baby obi-wan is who we haven't seen that's true (laughs) 
<laughs> but that would be kind of boring, you know? I think that my... No, my my theory, my theory is this baby would have a beard. And everybody would be like, why does this baby have a beard? Yeah. And true. it would be a big question. But he doesn't and have we'd a ask beard this question. in that other movie, Joe. Did you think of that? We'd ask this question on my new show, the Obi-Wan TV series. <laughs> I'm the showrunner now. Nice. Uh, I think baby Chewbacca, we've probably seen some iteration of a small Chewbacca person. Uh, yeah, in the holiday special, yeah. boy. There you go. So we've seen everyone except for C3, except for... Well, we've seen C3VO be born, but we haven't seen him as a baby. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Is there anything in canon? It doesn't even need to be in canon. Is there anything stating that C3PO was not a baby before we saw him? No. No, not at all. Yeah, I don't even need to look that up on Wikipedia. <laughs> I just know it. Best Wikipedia name. <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right, well, that's that's pretty good. I, I like my yeah. answer a lot, even though I thought of it quickly. I, I can't think of anything better right now. Baby Ewoks kind of already are babies. Yeah, I don't know if there would be any substantial difference. That's true. All right, Joe, are you ready for I mean, many, many people are out there believing that baby Ewoks are like baby Wookiees. <laughs> no, they're not. That doesn't make who said that. Mm, I think plenty of casual viewers believe that. <laughs> Un- uneducated people. I think if you if you went up to a regular person on the street and showed them like a picture of an Ewok, they'd be like, oh, it's like a baby Chewbacca. All right. All right, Joe. I, I don't know about all that, but we'll have to do some thought surveying <laughs> to figure that one out, I think. We'll have to go to the polls. Yes. Nick, do you have a wise quote for us on this fine evening? I have a sort of sexist quote. You might not like it. Uh, that's not great. <laughs> it's funny though, ready? It's from Mad Men. That's how you know it's oh, bad. Oh boy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's credit is Roger Sterling, who's a character, but I assume that someone wrote it also. Anyways. Uh-huh. When God closes a door, he opens a dress. That's the quote. Yeah. Uh, we at Out of Our Heads HQ do not endorse sexism of any kind. No. Thank you for listening to Out of Our Heads, a comics and pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bortner and Nick Protopapis. You can contact us at outofourheadspod at gmail.com, where you can send us letters or tell us about books you want covered on the show. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Joby underscore draws. You can read my webcomic at jobydraws.com. As always, Nick has nothing to promote except for wisdom, but not this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. <laughs> In the meantime, you can rate and review us on iTunes. It would help us out. Uh, stay safe and see you next time.